I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. You are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and a very warm welcome to everybody. I am Shrija Agrawal and you are watching yet another episode of Startup Diaries. With me is a very special guest today. With me is Ambarish Murthy, who is a co-founder and CEO of Pepperfly. Ambarish, thank, thank you for you. talking to us. Thanks. Last time when I spoke with you, to now things have really changed. And it's really so interesting when you started, you really were going through this capital constraint environment. Yeah. I know that you really had to sort of shorten down your categories. It yeah. was not really the entire idea to only focus on furnishings. You also doing jewelry in other categories yeah. then. But because capital was constrained, you sort of decided to only focus not on Not only one. the constraint of capital, but yeah. Other, other, other yeah. factors. Yeah. And now you are in a situation where capital literally is free. One can at least say that, you mm, know. And okay. entrepreneurs are kind of living in that notion that, you know, the super abundant capital. Mm. I want to understand from you, Ambarish. Mm. And when I spoke to a, quite a few people mm. that I'm interviewing Ambarish and how do you define Ambarish mm. from VCs, they all had something to say. It's a very pragmatic entrepreneur. <laughs> so first, you have quite a bit of reputation, mm. I must say this. Thank you very much. And what does it really mean that, you know, to be building out an organization or a company in 2019? I started actually explaining the choices that we made when we started off, right? So I started in 2011, end of 2011. Um, got access to a bunch of funds, uh, 2012 and 13. We figured a few things out. We figured that what we wanted to build was a lifestyle site. Uh, however, there were certain categories such as fashion and jewelry, which frankly, we as a marketplace didn't have a right to win. Um, and therefore, we I think one of the best decisions we made was that we pivoted out of all of those categories really early. Uh, and early 2013, about a year into our existence, we became a pure play home interior site. And I, like I said, it's, I think it's one of the best decisions you have made. Uh, when it comes to pragmatism, uh, I guess, the way I think about ourselves, or I think about myself at least, is that uh, I feel sometimes, or I, I think I'm like the elephant in the room, right? And I'd rather not be noticed. Okay. Because I think a lot of the good work that a person actually does, or companies the way they get made, are a function of being strong, silent, and being doing all the right things, rather than being flamboyant about it. And I think that's what, I guess, defines me as a pragmatist, or defines the way Pepperfry has been built. So, and I, I think that's now inherently part of our core DNA, and, and I'm really proud of it. It's interesting you mentioned about this fact about you know trying to be the elephant you know especially <laughs> yeah. in this time yeah. but is it a good strategy really because you know when you speak to VCs they also say that the quality of the founder is also being judged at how much capital he or she can attract. I actually think I have a slightly different viewpoint on this. Uh, my viewpoint is uh, any business should raise the capital that it requires uh, not the capital that somebody is willing to give it and there is a big difference between the two. Uh, as we built Pepperfry, both my co-founder Ashish and I, we always wanted to just raise the amount of capital that we required as a business. Now, 
fundamentally when you're a business which uh, has great you know economics you keep your cost structures low the capital that you require or don't require tends to be lesser i would be very uh, wary of going in raising a bunch of capital just to make a vanity point because i, I really don't think vanity points hold in the longer term you know it's it's like this eventually value of a company is in the eyes of i think the public market it's where you know a million people who buy your stock they price your stock in a particular manner and i think therefore it's the duty of a company to ensure that it delivers great valuations by virtue of actually delivering great value and that great value gets delivered to those million people who buy your stock when you take a market uh, or when you take a company into the public markets and i think that's the true if you were to ask me the if value a, creation that's the true value creation that's the time that i think an entrepreneur should really smile and say ha i've done something good so that's still the preferred exit option for you yes it is eventually okay yeah. talking really about you know you said about being frugal yeah and not necessarily going over the top yeah. you know even if capital is too freely available yeah. and the fact that you really have this entrepreneur one not one kind of streak in you that yeah. you would rather go for a public yeah. listing and have yeah. the perception in the mind of the public now there seems to be quite a few challenges also sure. you know in the terms of macros we're going through not necessarily sure. a great economic environment sure. secondly you also have the advent of ikea coming in sure. you know how do these things really impact your business so i think with the ugly side really it's not the ugly side i actually think the advent of ikea is a pleasant thing to happen in the market right uh, the way i think about ikea is that the fundamental role that ikea would play is that of somebody who's helping build the market uh you know the big the big thing about this market is 90% of furniture and home interiors today is unorganized when you have a 90% unorganized segment nobody is going to be able to build a big business by taking 1% away from each other from the organized segment the bigger win or the bigger size of the pie is the 90% unorganized segment and i think folks like ikea will help in organizing that part of the market more so for me here's the thing here's what i think about ikea's entry they've committed billions of dollars into india obviously they must have done that because they have uh, thought through uh, you know what the potential in india for furniture and home interiors is and because their potential is high they're willing to commit billions of dollars for me it's market validation and the good news in through all of this is if you were to see pepper fry through everything that's happened over the last 3 4 years we despite whatever economic slowdown we grow like a rocket ship uh, we continue to expand fairly rapidly a business is you know on wings and i, I can't ask for anything more uh, and of course in doing all of this we try to keep our cost sensible so i mean as an entrepreneur i think i've built a good business which is able to grow really rapidly without really sucking up costs so and how have you that for able, me is a win so how have you been able to do this because you um, said that you're in a unique position a unit economics is really yeah, low we have been yeah. able to keep the cost low yeah. how come because ultimately yeah. e-commerce companies are notorious or perhaps known for having high burn rates yeah. right no so here's how it works right it starts obviously with unit economics so if you make a really sizable amount of let's call it contribution margin which is the cost that you incur after you deliver the goods to the consumer's doorstep if you start with a sizable contribution margin it's only a question of time before which that contribution margin starts to set off against all of your overheads so how much is that for your business our contribution margin is 20% plus which is basically our net margin net of everything we make 20% plus so we are in a in a category where you know differentiation really counts we don't sell mobile phones we sell furniture and the task of selling furniture 
and especially standardizing furniture and selling it to millions of people across India is not an easy task. But the good news is in every business, if you're not doing an easy task, you're differentiating your business. And if you're differentiating your business, you can actually make great margins. So what's the kind of GMV that you have right now? Ah, I don't normally give it out in public, but let me just say this uh, broadly that uh, I think we would reach roughly about a billion dollars of GMV in about two years from now. You know, so it, often the winning company is not necessarily decided these days by the business model. It looks like more from the capital that person has. So what would you do in that situation? It's like this. Let me give you an example. There have been many markets in the world where multinational companies with billions and billions of dollars to uh, in their equity have actually not managed to build great businesses. While it's the local businesses that have thrived. Think of Alibaba. I mean, when, when Alibaba started off, Alibaba didn't have access to resources the way uh, you know an eBay or a, a, an Amazon did. But who was the eventual winner in China? It was somebody who actually built their business on strong fundamentals. And those strong fundamentals involve the right use of capital. They do not involve you know, just the use of capital. And I think that's the distinction that I'm trying to make. I would say that the way I've built my business is how much revenue do I make, which is how much commission do I make on the sales that I do? Because eventually what counts is, is that setting off and, and you know, leading to a, a strong bottom line. So that's how, how you need that? to build. Is it 20% net for profit? It's net. Yeah, that's uh, My gross margin is 55% plus. So, I mean, there aren't many businesses in India which can claim that. Interesting. You also mentioned the fact that, you know, capital is never a constraint for good companies. So you also fundraising, you're on the road to fundraising. Uh-huh. So why is the need for fundraising then? No, I think it's always a validation for the market on, on the pricing of a round, right? So uh, I hope to, if everything goes out well, fingers crossed, over the next 12 to 18 months, take Pepperfly public. At all points in time, I am conscious that I am here to create value not only for my shareholders, but also to create value for my employees, for all my partners, all the merchants who work with Pepperfly. They are the reason why you know Pepperfly exists today. and. Before an event such as a public market offering, I would want to keep validating that the, the value of Pepper Fry continues to increase. But also the entire idea of adopting the omni-channel strategy, why was that? So not a pivot. Uh, but what was the rationale behind that? So I believe very strongly that it's fundamentally the same customer. She could be on a mobile phone at some point in time, she could be on a laptop at another point in time, or she could be walking down high street or going to a mall at another point in time. But it's actually the same customer. And therefore it's my duty as a brand to interact with her on a mobile, on the laptop, or through a physical presence in a mall or on high street. Because that's how I create customer engagement. So incidentally, 2014 December is when we set up our first omni-channel store. And uh, at that point in time, omni-channel in itself wasn't a word which was considered to be nice, right? And especially for an e-commerce company to set up a, even a physical presence wasn't something that was supposed to be in vogue. But we did it because our principle on the customer has always been the same. That it is the same customer. She is the same. And so therefore, I will interact with her in whichever way she wants to interact with me. Because that's how I'll build a strong billion dollar brand. Okay, that brings me to the next question. Yeah. Is there a unicorn obsession in the sense that you would want to be a unicorn, right? No, I think unicorns are irrelevant. It's the value of the brand that I'm talking about. So for me, for example, a billion dollar brand is something which in perpetuity can make 55% gross margins. The value of a brand is never as a balance sheet activity just at a point in time. The value of a brand is courtesy the sustenance that the brand creates. 
and everything we've done at pepper fry is actually towards creating that sustenance of the brand we don't do you know you don't see us doing things like dropping our gross margins to 10% one day just because you know we want to run a sale like that it never works like that with us we will consistently provide great value and and that's what we stand for so building a billion dollar brand is not a point in time it's an orientation or a state of mind if so, i could use that so basically you're saying the idea is to build a sustainable business not really like one shot in the pony just sort of hit the mark and it's gone Absolutely. that's not really you know, the idea a business many businesses every business has many milestones the first milestone is do you have have you moved beyond proof of concept the second milestone is do you get the right kind of folks to work with you and therefore have you built an organization for scale the third milestone tends to be have you reached profitability uh, are your systems processes and margin structures such that allow you to turn make money and then the fourth milestone is have you got this validated by a whole bunch of people which means a public market event i think these are all milestones in the journey of a company and, and i think yeah that's how i've built pepper fry It really looks like that you're geared towards public market listing. Fingers that's, crossed. That's pretty much you're looking yeah, at for the next 18 months. Yeah. So, how are the conversations and investors going in that direction? Tell us a little about that. Mm-hmm. No, so how we exit have scenarios, a, exit conversations, how are things there? No, so, our last board meeting, meeting a large part of the board meeting was actually about how we need to plan this. Uh, my CFO has set up an IPO day, uh, which is next month, uh-huh. uh, which is uh, you know a single day where the board. is basically only going to talk about our strategy as we go about it so i mean we're on it uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done but hopefully we'll get there okay especially coming the time where you have so much press talking about the fact that how walmart is kind of not so happy with the flipkart acquisition was yeah? supposed to be in the hindsight proven to be a very expensive buy mm-hmm. how do you think these concerns and conversations will really affect you no i think you know that's the interesting piece right when you when you think about your audience being as public market investors normally the things that affect them tend to be fundamentally the mathematics of your business which is how does your pnl look how does your balance sheet look uh, and have you shown sustained track records of pnl and balance sheet activity which are positive in nature and i think therefore their decisions related to the values of a company or value of a company relate more to how the company is doing rather than the buzz around you know a space and so on and i think that's that's a great thing of being a public market offering or you know that's a great thing about being a public market investor so that is that is for sure when i'm talking about this entire competition it is just so competitive no, so you know on, you have I mean, a deep pocketed so you know the three levels of capital playing here literally. all of the horizontals today sell furniture i think you know all horizontals have been selling furniture and interior products now for 3 4 5 years um, like i said top of mind recall is an important criteria for how strong a particular brand is and pepperfly has like more than one third of the top of mind recall in this category um so i think it's great that they're doing this i think it'll help you know develop the market further and after that it's up to the consumer to decide as to whose offerings are are great whose offerings offer great value whose experience is great and i i think on, on all of those parameters pepperfly has done well so give me like three key learnings amrish and if you were to sort of start a business in 2019 how would sure. that be different So uh one key learning was that uh even if you wish to sell products which you think are high on design customers sometimes won't get it uh and they will think so let me give an example we started off selling something called uh it used to be called rugged wood furniture so it used to be furniture which used to come from wood which was recycled from old homes or old ships and that's on uh and we had a whole range we started selling with and this was very early this was 2012 13 and customers used to buy it and used to tell us that you know the furniture we got is old 
so the one one of my learnings was you know you it's need to simplify life it's not you know you need to keep yourself in step with the evolution of the customer the categories evolved a lot in the last 7 years today for example if i were to talk about old wood furniture i know that most of my customers would actually know about it but that was in the state 7 years back remember 7 years back you know all of us if you looked at 10 houses potentially 50 pieces of furniture 30 of them would be the same and that's changed and that's i think something that pepperfry has really brought to the table we have you know i i'm using a term out of somebody else's playbook but if there's one thing that we've done well i think we've democratized choice when it comes to furniture in india and that's something that you know means that you have to keep in step with the customers that would be one learning the second is we opened our supply chain or we started doing supply chain by ourselves only in 2013 in a in a fairly complex category such as ours we should have done it earlier the third is that uh, you know sometimes you're really lucky that you have some of the smartest people uh, with a lot of passion who decide to work with you and uh, i think one of the learnings i've always had hopefully i never make a mistake on this one is uh, never forget that fact i mean it's at the end of the day it's the people that make a business and uh, we've been very fortunate at pepperfry to have some really great people working with us interesting so you have a different <laughs> model towards e-commerce success sure. you know when you when you look at other e-commerce companies i want to ask you this question is that can you really burn your way to success so i think there are two types of businesses uh, be it in e-commerce or in any other the first type of business is one where you sell the same product you sell it many million times and the second type of business and that's typically a debt type business and there you know everything that you evaluate e-commerce businesses such as cac and you know all of the good stuff cohorts etc they all matter there's another type of business which is where you're selling highly differentiated product you're selling a million products and you're selling them each one time that's the business we are in right so yeah it's a it's a very different solution to an e-commerce business it's a very different e-commerce business in itself and in the longer term i think this kind of business creates a lot of value and how big can this business truly become because it, it because what happens is first you sell that those million products once then you sell sell those million products twice then you sell those million products three times it's essentially your ability to scale this business is very high because you're already set up to sell a million different types of products which a business which is selling let's say 50 products or one small core of products and selling it a million times is not scaled up to do there you know i think that the risks of having cost efficiencies not panning out etc are higher in the case of a business which is in itself entirely about the long tail is you know once you set that infrastructure up scale is bound to happen and that's one of the reasons why you know we've scaled as pepperfry when a lot of other folks in the furniture and home interiors business didn't manage to because our inherent business model was different and i think that's something that uh, i think all my investors have a lot of value for and hopefully the market has a lot of money <laughs> the biggest challenge playing in the mind of ambrish worthy as i grow this business 10x how do i ensure that execution which has been something that we have been awesome at till now continues to remain the same even when we are 10x the size okay if this world were a billboard yeah. what would you write on that happy furniture to you <laughs> what is your advice to vcs how should they sort of remain sane and focused at a time when there's just so much capital and competition even for them i think they should stick to the basics uh, they should look at businesses for what businesses actually stand for which is you know the metrics the pnl the bottom line those are things which are core they don't i mean they those are things which decisions should be based on but ambrish it kind of really baffles me you know in the sense that when i speak to a lot of consumer internet companies particularly e-commerce companies for the real reason that uh, you know 
one of the biggest challenge that VCs when they talk to me about their portfolios is that there's just no path to profitability. The burn rates just go out of the hand beyond a point. Now here you are there and you're telling me that Srija, net of money is 20%. What really has been your secret recipe? Is it also by virtue of the category that you are into or what really have you done here? So yes, the category is super important. But here's the thing. The category has always been there. People have always wanted furniture. They wanted it for hundreds of years. In this category, no business has managed to truly scale in India till now. So while the category has always been there, I think the thing that we brought to the table is the fact that we built a scalable business in this category, which means that you know we didn't stop at the first 100 crores or the second 100 crores or the, the 500 crores. We didn't stop there. We just kept scaling, right? So while the category is an important factor, I think the fact that we built a scalable business in this category, I think has counted really well for us. The second aspect, of course, is when you build a scalable business, what you're effectively doing is you're solving longer term problems for consumers related to your category. Whenever you solve problems, consumers actually reward you with differentiation. When they reward you with differentiation, you're actually able to make more margins. And therefore, it's all connected. It's you pick the right category, you solve the right problems, you therefore differentiate your business, therefore you make more margins. And I think that's what we managed to do fairly well. Okay, with that as a thought, what it takes to succeed, being frugal, being sustainable and being scalable, essentially the entrepreneurship one, not one, from Ambarish Murthy. And really has this major desire to go for a public offering. With that, there's a wrap up on this episode of Startup Diaries. So we'll see you next. Goodbye and good luck. This was a Livement production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.